Heavenly Father, we're here to hear your word and specifically conversations you have with people that you want us to learn from. So would you open our eyes to your conversation to your disciples and to these people and also to the conversation you might have in our hearts and souls this morning? Amen. Well, Jesus is the world's uh, preeminent teacher. And as the preeminent teacher, he understands that there's a limited amount of learning a disciple can get from a lecture. You, you know this as a student. There's only so much information you can absorb by sitting and listening to somebody. And Jesus understands this. And so he decides uh, here and many other places in the Bible to take his disciples, his pupils, on a little field trip. And he's going to find out if the things that he's been talking about, they've absorbed and can they see them in action. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Jesus is on this field trip and he's having conversations with different people, but it's really a way to display what he's been talking about. And he wants his disciples to pick up on these things and we'll want to pick up on them ourselves. But before we get begin, I want to go back and just pick up a, a few things from the classroom. If you would turn left in your Bible, just back to Mark chapter one, you see in one chapter, uh, chapter one, verse 16, Jesus calls his first disciples, two pairs of brothers, Andrew and Peter, and then James and John. They're all fishermen. They live in this town called Capernaum, which is on uh, the Sea of Galilee, and if you think about the Sea of Galilee being a clock, they live at like 10 or 11 o'clock on that dial. And they're up there, it's a little fishing village, it's Jesus' hometown, and he's walking through and he calls these first uh, four disciples. And the very first thing he wants them to know is that, that he, Jesus, he has all authority. That's the first thing he wants them to know. Guys, I'm calling you to follow me. And I want you to make sure that you understand, no matter what happens, I have all authority. And he says it, and he teaches it, and then he displays it here, just in this opening opening chapter, verse 21. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered, or Jesus entered the synagogue, and he was teaching. And then notice this, verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. So there was something about Jesus standing up as a rabbi that was different than the other rabbis who were speaking. When when he stood up, it's like he had a command of what he was talking about. It was something that he embodied, not something he was just passing along. And to sort of give proof to his authority, he cast out an evil spirit in, in a man that's sitting in the synagogue. And then you notice in verse 27, and they were all amazed so they question among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. So first lecture, first demonstration, first reminder for these disciples, Jesus is trying to help those who follow him to say, guys, no matter what happens, I have all authority. I am in charge. It may not look like I'm in charge. You may want to be in charge sometimes, but I just want you to know I'm always in charge and I have all authority. Then if you would turn to Mark chapter 4, Jesus delivers a series of parables. And you can see it, especially if you have like a red letter Bible. 
and probably in most of your Bibles, there's headings. And he has a series of, of stories that he's telling. This is the way Jesus typically helps people learn. He, learn. he teaches them through stories. And so we have a series of four stories here, the parable of the sower. We don't have time to recount all of this, but basically uh, God is casting seed, his word, or maybe even Jesus. And this seed falls on different kinds of soils. It falls on different kinds of souls. When Jesus lands into a life, he might land into a, a life that has a hard soul. Or it might be shallow soil, or it might be thorny soil, or it could be good soil. The parable of the sower. Chapter 421, there's the little parable about a lamp under a basket. You're not supposed to keep a lamp under a basket. That would be silly. Why, why would you do that? Put a lamp in some place that it shines its light. All people can be can benefit, especially people in the dark. And the lamp or the gospel or Jesus is designed to be shared, not sheltered. So you see, he's just taking them through these different stories. These are all lectures. They're sitting in Capernaum in this little classroom. Then he tells them another story about the growing seed. Very short little story, verse 26. And he said to them, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So the, the disciples are going to scatter the seed. They're the delivery. But he, the man or the farmer, he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. And he doesn't know how. He scatters it. He knows the seed goes down in the soil. and He knows some plant comes up, but he doesn't actually know how it happens and it's because God does that. The disciples are the delivery system, but the actual growth happens because of God. That's the lesson he wants them to learn in this lecture. And finally, this little parable about the mustard seed. It's a very small seed, and the kingdom of God may appear to be small, but eventually it's going to dominate the landscape. And when it dominates the landscape, all kinds of people are going to come and say, the kingdom of God, that's my home. That's where I build my nest. I'm going to land in this place. And so those are the lectures up to this point. Jesus has all authority. You can completely trust in him. Jesus and his word is meant to be scattered into every dark corner of the world. The disciples are the, the, the delivery system, but God makes it grow. It may seem small in the beginning, but all kinds of different people are going to make the kingdom of God their home. So that's the lecture. Those are the lecturers. Now let's get into the field trip, which begins in verse 35. And the field trip, and you can see it in your Bible, it divides up into three easy segments. First, verse 35, chapter 4, Jesus calms the storm. Then Jesus meets the, the man named Legion, the demon-possessed man, chapter 5. And then in verse 21, Jesus meets two different people, a woman with no name, and then Jairus, who has a daughter who's dying. So here are the three little field trips. The first field trip, let's read this together. On that day, verse 35, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side. See that? That's the field trip. Hey, guys, we've been in the classroom in Capernaum. Let's go to the other side. Okay. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking onto the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, 
asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, Jesus, and said to Jesus, Teacher, do you not care? Do you not care that we're perishing? And he woke up and he rebuked the wind and, and, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then Jesus turns to his disciples here on this first field trip. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Everyone loves the story because of what appears to be the application. Jesus has the power to calm fierce storms in nature. So Jesus must have the power to calm fierce storms in my life. And of course that's true, but that's not the point of this story. It is true that God does have this power to to calm every storm. But when you read the story carefully, you understand Jesus is the one who tells his disciples, let's go. He's saying, guys, and they don't know this, let's go into what? Let's go into a storm. And so many of us are following Jesus to say, I know he's just going to get me out of a storm. But what we learn here is he might be putting you into a storm. You see, this is all part of the field trip. This isn't some act of God, act of nature. This is an act of God. This is some divine appointment that Jesus is putting them in and saying, okay, guys, we're on a field trip, and this is part of it. And what you discover here is that when Jesus says, let's go, and he's leading them into the storm, Jesus knows it's not difficult to have faith when you're sitting in the classroom in Capernaum. Everybody can have faith at that point. But when you get out into a storm and you find out that Jesus has actually led you into the storm, then can you have faith? If your life's on the line, can you have faith? Can you trust that I have all authority? Or when all hell breaks loose and you don't have any control over the situation you thought you have control over, at that point, can you trust in Jesus? You see, Jesus looks like he's asleep here. And he's trying to help his disciples. Guys, there's going to be times when it looks like I'm asleep. And all hell is going to break loose. And I want to know at that point, not in the classroom, but at that point, can you have faith? Now, a good student of the Bible would know three years later, all hell does break loose. And it really looks like Jesus is asleep in a tomb. And all the dreams that you had hoped got got crushed. See, this is just a field trip for a much bigger trip. And can you at that point, when we're all sitting in this classroom this morning, and say, yes, we're trusting in Jesus, but when all hell breaks loose in your life, do you still have faith? Easy, Easy to listen to the lecture, or difficult when you find yourself in the middle of the storm. Another thing that we learn here on this field trip, specifically trying to think about the disciples' 
is that in order to go, when Jesus says, let's go, notice in verse 36, they have to leave the crowd behind. Now, when I told this story many times in my days in young life, I'd always tell it from the thought of if you're if you're in a bad crowd, you're going to and you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to leave the negative influences behind. You have to do that. And of course, that's true. But that's not the point of this story. What Jesus is asking his disciples to do is leave safety behind, to leave their home behind, to leave their Jewish community and Jewish culture behind. See, they're in a place that they know, they're known, they they understand how it all works. The other side, we don't know. The other side is a a place of evil. It's a a non-Jewish culture. They don't go to the other side. They get in their boat and fish, but when they're done, they never end up on the other side. They always come back home. And Jesus is saying, guys, I need you to be able to leave your safe crowd behind. See, a lot of people are willing to leave negative influences Few are willing to leave safety. Adoniram Judson, one of the early American missionaries, he understood this. In 1812, Judson left the safety of America to become a missionary to a place called Burma near India. And a year and a half after, before he left, he fell in love with a young woman named Anne Hazeltine. And here's how Adoniram asked Anne's father for his consent to marry his daughter. So especially if you're a dad here, imagine receiving this letter. If you're a young woman and you're, you, 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 one day you want to get married, imagine your husband saying, would you go on this journey with me? I'm writing to you, Mr. Hazeltine. To ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter next spring to see her no more in this world. What an opening line. I mean, if I'm the dad, I'm like, I don't need to read anymore. (laughs) You know, let's get another person. Wrong candidate. Can you consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life? The dangers of the ocean, the fatal influence of the climate climate in India, to every kind of distress, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of Jesus who left his heavenly home and he died for her and for you? After reading, Anne's father told her she had to decide. And she writes to a friend, I feel willing and expect, if nothing in providence prevents, to spend my days in the world in heathen lands. Yes, I've come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments, to leave the crowd behind, and sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God shall see fit to place me. Wow. See, in the classroom, in your home, I'm not saying you don't get a little bit of a workout, but imagine being on this field trip. 
So one of the things that Jesus is asking every disciple, hey, at some point in your life, you're going to have to leave the safety of your friends, of your network behind. And maybe that's just for a conversation. Maybe that's for a week. Maybe that's for a lifetime. I don't know. But can you do that? Will you and I trust Jesus when he leads us into a storm? Will we trust him if he leads us away from safety and comfort? As a church, are we preparing these kinds of people? Are we preparing the next group of Ann Hazeltines and Adoniram Judsons? Or are we just preparing ourselves to just stay right here? It's a question that we have to ask as church leadership. You have to ask for yourself. One final observation. The disciples' soil gets tested. Just a a few hours ago, the disciples are sitting in the safety of the classroom in Capernaum. They're learning all about soils and seeds. And they notice that one seed falls on the thorns. And before the, the the, the, the plant really has a chance to grow, you remember the thorns come and choke it. And this is what Jesus says. The thorns are the cares of this world and the desires for other things. The person wants to grow, but what happens is something comes and wraps around them and chokes them, and it's some care for this world or the over-desire for something in this world that wins out over Jesus. Now they're on the journey, this field trip. They're halfway across the Sea of Galilee, and waves are rising up like great thorny vines, and other things begin to choke the disciples. Now, you might say, well, what are, what are these other things that are choking the disciples? And my answer was, their life. They come to Jesus and say, don't you care what? That I'm perishing. And what I want Jesus to say right there is, yes, that's the most important thing in my whole life, is your perishing. And he, but he doesn't say that. He's asking, when you're perishing, can you still have faith? Or is your life the other thing? Your life is actually more important than Jesus. That's going to be put to test for the disciples. That gets put to test for many disciples. So we might say, well, cars or television or coffee you realize just how shallow that, that is? What if your life is on the line? What if the, your, the other thing that you're holding on to is your own life? Can you let go of that? Or do you have to have authority over that? It's a tough field trip. Second leg, leg of the journey, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Great. Great story here, great account. Jesus reaches the other side. The other side is a place known as the Decapolis, ten cities, ten Greek cities. So you have these Jewish men coming out of one small city. They're going to the other side, and they don't go to the other side. It's not a kosher place. It's not a Jewish place. It's like going to the other side of the tracks in a city. And just the fact that Jesus tells his disciples, hey, guys, let's go to the other side. Right then and there, they would have been like, oh, I mean, we don't go to the other side, Jesus. We stay on this side. They stay on that side. 
They reach the shore. A man with no clothes on starts running towards them, screaming. There's a herd of pigs. This is not a place that's a Jewish location nearby. And they've, they've come up to a graveyard. So we've got a man running out of a graveyard with no clothes on next to a herd of pigs. That's the picture. And he's full of demons. So his name is Legion. The parable of the lamp. The gospel is to be shared, not sheltered. The parable of the growing seed. The disciples are just the delivery system. God makes it grow. Now, I love this particular account, verse 1. They came to the other side. This is the only time the disciples are mentioned in this account. They came to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, notice that. Where are the disciples right now? Nude man running towards them screaming. My picture of the disciples are is... The man's coming at him, no clothes on, screaming. Jesus gets out of the boat, and they go, uh, Jesus, you know what? We'll see you on the other side. I mean, we didn't want to come to the other side. This is why we didn't come to the other side. We don't want to meet this man. We're done. The account, if we had time to read it, emphasizes the description of Legion. He's living among the dead. That describes a lot of people's lives. No one, no chain can bind him. He continually cries out amongst the tombs and he cuts cuts himself with stones. I'm assuming that when the disciples reached the other side and saw this man, they thought that's some hard soil. But God is the one who makes things grow, not the disciples. They're just the delivery system. And when Legion meets Jesus, he becomes a new creation. Fascinating story. Then we find this description. First, he's sitting. No more running around. He's he's in his sound mind. He's clothed, not naked. And he's in his right mind. So it's the role of every disciple... To be the delivery system to the darkest places. That's our role. It's not our role to change somebody's heart. That's God's role. We deliver. God makes people new. And then when Jesus leaves the region, he gives an unusual charge to this man. He says in verse 19, don't go with me, which is really amazing. But return to your own home and tell your friends and family how the Lord has had mercy on you. I've planted something in you. You, I can already see you growing. And I want you to go home and I want you to bear fruit. And we never hear of this man again in the Gospels. But one thing we do know is that Jesus does go to the other side again. Just a few chapters later, chapter 8 in Mark. And 4,000 people are attracted to him. And I'm guessing Legion is one of them. And perhaps he's brought many of his friends. 
You see, he's part of the good soil. He's bearing fruit. So, so far on the field trip, the disciples have learned that legion is good soil. And they're thorny soil. It's a tough field trip if you're a disciple. Final leg of the trip. Wish we had time to read all 22 verses. Starts with verse 21 through 43. Jesus crosses back over to the hometown, Capernaum, and he encounters these two people. Well-known man, Jairus. He's a religious leader, but his daughter is dying. And then he encounters a woman who we don't know her name. She's poor, and she suffered from bleeding for 12 years. And she spent all of her money on trying to get well, and she's only getting worse. They come from two totally different ends of the social spectrum, but they have one thing in common. They're both very desperate for Jesus. So first, the woman. She's dying because of this continuous discharge of blood. She's not just dying physically, she's dying socially. Because of this discharge, she's unclean, she can't come to the temple, she can't have contact with anybody, she can't even touch anybody, no one can touch her without becoming unclean. Likely, she doesn't have any husband. Certainly, she lives in poverty because we know she spent all she had trying to get well. But this woman, somehow, she had heard about Jesus Jesus had already done some miracles in the hometown, and maybe she's just waiting for him to come back. And you could imagine some reasons she would say, I don't know if I can really come to Jesus. First of all, look at him. He's dealing with Jairus. I mean, Jairus is one of the most important people in this small town. And Jairus' daughter is sick. And he's a religious ruler, and Jesus is a religious ruler. I mean, he doesn't have any time for, for me. I'm no Jairus. Jesus is probably not interested in small people without a name. And some of you may have thought that. It's worth noting that on this little field trip, three people get healed. All people at the very bottom of society. First, Legion, he gets healed. Secondly, this woman gets healed. And third, a dead little girl gets healed. People who have no value in society They all get healed by Jesus. No doubt something that Jesus wanted his disciples to pick up on. Well, she could have been stopped by that, but she wasn't. She could have been stopped by her bleeding and her embarrassment. I mean, she spent all of her money looking for help from bizarre alternatives. And some of us have tried a lot of bizarre alternatives, trying to fill up our soul. And you might have thought, well, gosh, I mean, Jesus, he's going to expose who I am. He's going to know I've tried all these bizarre things to try to fill up my life. I, I, I just can't face that embarrassment that might be causing you to stop from coming to Jesus. You've tried a lot of bizarre things. But none of these things keep this woman from her. She has a desperation in her soul. And she's going to lay aside her poor position. She's going to lay aside her embarrassment. She's determined to get to to Jesus. She knows everything rests on Jesus. Little does she know that her desperation is a living lesson for the disciples. Guys, do you see this woman? This is what, when I'm talking about I have all authority and you have to trust in me, I'm talking about this. 
When all hell breaks loose in your life, you have to keep coming for me. You can't let any kind of thing stop you from coming to me. She's a little object lesson, and she has no idea. This unnamed woman is healed. But my favorite part of the story is she gets a name. Verse 34. Jesus says to her, Daughter. Only time it's used in the Gospels. Daughter. I can't even imagine the real exchange that happened at this intersection. This woman has this intersection with Jesus, the woman who nobody knows her name, suddenly she gets adopted, like out of nowhere. And she gets his last name. And she gets all the wealth that belongs to Jesus is now part of her inheritance. I don't think I could even fathom it. The Hackneys... Flew to India last week. And of course they had a picture of a little girl. But here she is. She's two years old. She lives in an orphanage. And they meet her and say, your name is Annika Hackney. And we're going to take you to our home. And you get everything the Hackneys have. What am- isn't that Amazing. Well, if that's amazing, imagine how amazing this is. And you, you could have a name like a son or a daughter. But you have to come with absolute desperation. You can't be leaning on something else. We'll end with Jairus. He's heard about Jesus, and he has his reasons which might prevent him from trusting in Jesus. But I only want to mention one. And the reason he might not trust in Jesus is death. In verse 23, his daughter is near death. In verse 35, she is dead. Jesus consents his withdrawal. So he turns to him. And I don't know if he grabs him by the shoulders. I don't know if he looks him in the eye. I don't know how this happens. But he says, do not fear Only believe. Jairus, don't allow death to derail your trust in me. Don't allow death to derail your trust in me. Don't allow death to derail your trust in me. See, death has a derailing effect on people's faith. Especially if your daughter dies. Jesus is encouraging Jairus. He's encouraging his disciples. He's encouraging us. Don't allow death to swallow up your trust in Jesus. Because Jesus has all authority, even in death. He gets the last word. Death doesn't get the last word. But what a first field trip for the disciples. It won't be the last time that they're standing somewhere hoping death doesn't get the last word. 
And so this morning, I wonder what kind of field trip Jesus has you on today. For some of you, he has led you into a storm. And you had always hoped he was going to lead you out. And it feels like all hell is breaking loose and all the things that you thought you have control of, you found out you actually don't have control over those things. Maybe he's asking you to leave a safe crowd behind and go to the other side. Could be the other side of a hallway to have a conversation with somebody. Could be the other side of the world. I don't know. Maybe something has derailed your trust in Jesus. Could be you thought you had trust in Jesus, but death happened. Death of a dream. Death of a spouse. Death of a child. Could be you never got on the rail because of something hard. And you just thought, I can't believe that there's a God out there that will allow these kinds of things happen. Lots of ways to get derailed. No matter where you are, you're all on a field trip. You're all on a journey. And everybody on this journey is going to have some low spots. And my hope is that you would trust in Jesus. And one way you keep holding on is we hold on together. We hold on for you when you can't hold on for yourself. And we do that through prayer. So after the service, if you feel like, hey, it would be helpful for my soul for somebody to pray for me, I'll be up here. Jeremy will be up here if you want to have somebody pray Please avail yourselves to that. Let's pray together. Lord, we come this morning, this hot day in June, and it's a divine appointment. It's as much of a divine appointment as uh, the woman with no name, Legion, Jairus. Or the disciples in the storm. And you're here to meet each person in each each way. It's going to be different for every person. But you have the capacity because you're the creator to meet everyone right where they are. And to begin to build trust in you. So I pray that you, you do that in everyone's heart. Give them courage. Give them faith. Give Give them the knowledge that you want the disciples to have to live in a world that's chaotic and to trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.